This is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Anne Gailey, we continue the conversation of pornology being turned into A Nice Girl Like You, the film. We also talk about relationships in the industry and what she's up to these days. She has a fantastic billboard quote at the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoy this part two with Anne Gailey and keep on keeping on. Now, I've heard, and I'm just curious what your view is on this, when writing a nonfiction book, it, it can be good to write the book individually, like that each chapter could stand alone as a blog post or a short essay, so to speak. And then when you put them together, it creates a book, but each chapter could be read out of order if someone were to do that in terms of laying out a nonfiction book. Have you heard that before? Do you disagree with that? No, I haven't, but that's probably a symptom of the times and with blogging and, um, you know, content, people always want you to have content that you can share. So then it would be easy to share to each of those out. chapters as an essay. Cause for me, when I wrote pornology, when it was done, then magazines like Elle and Cosmo and um, Latina and a few others said, okay, now we're going to contract you to write a feature on your book for our magazine. Right. It would have been great to just been be able to pull, but I had to kind of customize it and um, tell the story in a different way for, for them. What was the relationship yeah. to Callywood Pictures and creating a nice girl like you? you know, translating a book to a screenplay. Yeah, well, it's cool because in a way, Callywood Pictures um, started because of a nice girl like you. Gina Ponabianco, um wanted to produce with Affirmative Entertainment. Um and so she got investors and those three investors um, and her now started Callywood Pictures. Um, and now they're um, doing other films. I don't know if you saw, but on the website, uh, they're doing some stuff with um, Sam Worthington and Minka Kelly and um, some pretty big. So Michael um, Shannon actors. on there too. They got a bunch. It's a, yeah. it's a varied plate. Yeah. And they actually um, optioned, um, Sexy LA, which is uh, three years worth of columns I, I wrote. So they're trying to turn that into a television show right now. Um, but wait, did I now did I miss the question? So Callywood, that's how they, yeah, the they were formed. The relationship, how they found you, you found them, what that relationship began. Yeah. As. So I think Affirmative Entertainment had brought them on as a producing partner okay. and, um, and the financing, because that's what was really stalling the project. They kept trying to send it to directors and actors. Originally, they didn't have a script, but then they got someone to write the script, hmm. um, Andrea Marcellus. And it was a really amazing script. I was really happy with it. I remember when they gave it to me, they were nervous because so much of it changed from the book. Hmm. But I really believed she was the right person for it because she did things that I wouldn't have been able to do because I was too close to it. So instead of um, the character being a writer like me, the character is a violinist. So Lucy Hale plays this violinist character and she tries out for the symphony every year, um, but fails every year because they tell her that um, she's technically perfect, but she lacks passion. And that was such a great metaphor for her sex life. Right. And for how she approached the world. I was like, that's brilliant. Unfortunately, in the movie that got watered down and they never stated that actual line from the script, which I really thought and I, I huh. did tell them. And they, you know, now they can see in hindsight, too, that there were certain missed story elements. Um, but they were making a film, you know, for 
basically, God, under $2 million, which is a miracle nowadays. Yeah, some would say impossible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. So they did a great job for that. What was the what was the reason to water it down just to make it more mainstream so it wouldn't be so niche? I you know, I honestly no, I think it just um got missed when you're, you know, filming and then in editing, just somehow little story pieces. I thought there were a couple of links that just um somehow got lost, you know, no one remembers how or mm. anything, but it, it there's just so much, right? Footage and how you shoot things and I have to ask, and I know if you yeah. can't give any details on it, I totally understand. What are you okay. excited about right now? What are you What are you working on that you're really excited about? Oh gosh, <laughs> which um, project? <laughs> Shooting. Well, I'm really excited about Sex ELA yeah. being um, the new Sex in the City, but with a diverse cast. That's how they're pitching it. Um, they have some very interesting a sponsor that might come on board and pay for the whole series is what we're hoping. Um, and I love that cause it's just really, it really is sex in the city, but mm. in Los Angeles, which I think is it's I building Los Angeles as its own character. Yeah. You know, just like, um, Candace Bushnell did with the city. Um, there's just yeah. so much there and just having every character, um, in a by relationship which is very los angeles um, there's a lot of humor and heart that i think comes from that mm. so i'm so excited by that um bradley's actually been helping on that too um it might be we're not sure if the, if the characters are going to be in their 20s you know bradley probably wouldn't be in it but if they're in their 30s i would really want him to be there um and then the other project is bradley and i are writing a romantic comedy an indie and we do have people interested in that already even though it's not done um but it's about a music journalist and a rock star who meet in a very interesting way and um, don't see each other for seven years and when they re-meet they're they are still there's sparks there yeah and they fall in love despite a bunch of obstacles it's a lot like um we kind of love the movie what is that one with um, Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts, Notting Hill? Yes. The British movie, Notting yep. Hill. That's kind of our sense of humor. Uh, very dry. Oh, that's <laughs> and sarcastic. Um, so it's, it's a little bit like that where an ordinary person, um, you know, falls in love with um, a rock star and the complications and, and the humor. And so that's something we're probably two thirds of the way into that script. Where does your where does your inspiration come from? Is it dreams while you're sleeping, walks, sitting at the table? It just comes to you. That's interesting. I guess because I've done a lot, you know, a lot of my projects are being adapted. It's really I think it honestly comes from other people's work. You know, mm-hmm. when I think back, oh, I'll see an, I, something and go, there's a nugget of it in that sparks something. Um, like you see Notting Hill and you're like, oh, what if? It was a rock star who was a guy and a girl, you know, how could we twist that? Um, so a lot of it comes uh, from that, not so much from dreams for me. Sure. And then music is very inspiring to me. So I listen to a song and something about the song helps me write. Not necessarily the theme. Sometimes it is. It's more like the tone of it or the feeling of it. Um, 
is something I grab onto. Do you see colors? Is colors a part of it at all? Um, I don't see colors as much, but I definitely, if I have an idea and it kind of makes me feel something, like I get, um, not butterflies maybe, but I fall in love with it somehow. Hmm. You know, I think as I'm in such a great steady relationship, I think everything I do now, if it makes me have that feeling of falling in love, I love it. And I read books for that reason because, you know, I'm, after you've been married, as long as we have, it's like you don't have the butterfly feeling anymore. We have other amazing feelings, but not that. So right. I like that addiction to that feeling. And so the writing right now, these romantic comedies and sexy LA, I get that. Yeah. And it's kind of cool because I'm, I'm not the person who would ever have an affair or, you know, be misadventurous in that way. Right. So it all goes to the writing. <laughs> I get to experience things in the writing that I can't experience anymore. Yeah. And I love it. I love it. You're like, my pen and I and it, are having an affair. Right. <laughs> and as you can imagine, it's so fun to work with certain people, like working with Bradley. That's yeah. like, you know, that's a gift. You know, and certain producers that I work with, I love them. It's, you know, um, your energy at Bradley's energy is something that I believe anyone looks forward to being around. <laughs> And you know, it is about energy, right? You have that too. Thank you. Thank you. But Bradley and I, even after we talked, I mean, it was like a complete and total bromance. I was just like, I want to get a beer with I, this guy. You know? It makes sense. I and mean, I thought when I moved here to Island, which is super remote, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to still have clients. You know, I don't know how that's going to work because I'm not going to be meeting them in person. And every single one, it's like the energy is still felt on the phone and by Zoom. I've kept every single client. The problem is letting them go because they sometimes just want to like pay to keep you on. They confuse that with friendship. Oh, no. Um, so, so, yeah, it is energy. And Bradley and I were talking about that. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, even if, you know, as you get older or you, you might gain weight. That was the thing about LA is it's very shallow. Mm -hmm. Sometimes energy is not enough to come through. You have yeah. to have your status um, things. And we were kind of tired of that. I know we're skipping ahead, but that was a little bit of what we wanted to make some changes in our lives so that we could have more profound, um, rewarding um, lives, you know, and that that's harder to do in Los Angeles after the age of 35. <laughs> right, right. And that's what preempted the move to the Pacific Northwest, which is where you are yeah. You're on an island off of. Yeah, we were, we were looking for really anywhere. Um, but it was a time when LA was feeling really shallow. Um, you know, a lot of our friends are actresses. And I remember some of them, you know, they're 40 and they're beautiful and they've been in amazing movies and they're talented and kind. And they'd say, yeah, I'm starting to feel invisible. Like you go to a party or a function and you're just not paying attention to as much because in LA it's like that next pretty young, you know, uh, it's so much about external um, looks and being and the car you drive. And I honestly, I got caught up in it too, you know, at some point, I was like, God, we need a nice car. Um, <laughs> you know, so you pick the Land Rover over the Honda Accord, which, you know, when we had a Honda Accord, it drove so much better than the Land Rover. 
<laughs> this is ridiculous. Insurance is cheaper, um, easier to repair. <laughs> what? But in LA, it was like yeah. you, you know, people, how they perceive you was important to getting jobs too. Right. Yeah, that's part and of the I package. To, Unfortunately. Yeah, and we had a 10-year-old daughter at the time. We're like, God, I don't want to really raise her in, in high school, you know, with the kids um, that you kind of see and the influences. And and Sam, my husband, is a novelist. He grew up in a town of 400 in Pennsylvania. Wow. So he would love a little more nature. He is so impatient with anyone who has even a bit of artificiality. Really? Like if they're not... Oh, he cannot even stand being around people who talk about money. He can't fake it at all. Um, he loses interest. Um, so that was really tough it's just to like, be in LA. Like a dinner party, you guys are standing there talking to someone and they're oh, you come across and he's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. He just doesn't say anything or his yeah. eyes glaze over. He can't fake it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it could be rough sometimes. And there's a lot of people, even your friends, you find... You know, you've, you're trained in L.A. to always name drop or make sure you have a project you can talk about because that's what people always ask you. Whereas sometimes when I go to New York, I liked it because people would be asking you different questions like, oh, reading anything interesting, yeah. <laughs> you know, or you hear about such and such or, you know, it's like that at, at Harvard, too. Um, in L.A., it's really about like, what are you working on? Who are you working with? Right. Oh my goodness. I, uh, I want to change slightly slight gears here. Um, I read a book that w- uh, was titled, and I'm forgetting the author's name. It's the, the medium is the message and how different yep. a film is from an article, from a book from, and it's, they're just different. So in your writing, um, mm-hmm. and this is a broad question. I, I don't know if we have time to get too deep on it. What are the challenges you've recognized and realized from writing article to novel to screenplay to mm-hmm. TV show to film? Things come to mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, that quote is Malcolm McLaren, I think, from yes. something you learn, I think, in communication school, right? And yeah. people still, all these years, still use it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think like just from an article to, yeah, there's, you know, there's definitely a different approach um, to all of it um, from, okay, let me just say it. There's a different approach to all of it, but at the same time, I strongly believe there's structural elements that are the same and that's more important. Right. I think the sameness and that is, three acts, you know, I believe in three act structure. Some people call it five. If you add a teaser and a um, epilogue at the end, it becomes five and Shakespearean in some way. Right. Um, But I really believe in the, you set us up with an ordinary world. You have a catalyst that launches the character into another world. um, And then they have a crisis point somewhere in the middle. And if you don't have that, that's when you get bored in a movie that act two feels super long. It's the same, I think for an essay or nonfiction book, it's just that it might be truncated. And also you might move some of those elements around. Like sometimes you don't need to start with your ordinary world. You might start with the most dramatic thing in the book, the climax, and then work us back to it. Right. Right. Um, But I do think all those things happen. I mean, I always tell everyone it's a, it's a little bit like sex too. (laughs) You know, you just don't, like, I I think sex has three acts, 
yeah. because I've studied so much for chronology, yeah. um, you know, you don't just launch into it, right? You There's a buildup. Yeah, there's a warm-up. world. You want to take a little time with that, right? right? Um, and then you better shift it a little or it gets really boring too. The, the right? catalyst into the extraordinary, the hero's journey <laughs> of sex. Uh, you want you want some twists. Yeah. You want some unexpected. Right. And you definitely want a climax, right? right? That is the most important story out of it. I love that you're blushing. You've got me crying. <laughs> You've got me crying with laughter. <laughs> But then there's also a denouement or a resolution. And in typical film sex, that would be smoking the cigarette, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> so, so or the cuddling. Yeah. But it is really similar. And so I think all forms of writing, um, you know, when you feel you, you will feel structure on some level. Yeah. It helps pull you through whatever it is, even if it's an essay. Um, and I, so I think that that commonality is more important than, and you know really what the difference is specifically with sexy la uh tv show yeah. is that um five acts for you guys or do you view that more in a three-act situation and then part two to that um, you know yeah. sex and the city was written for like commercial breaks are you still writing for commercial breaks in a way i'm just curious what your views are in writing a tv yeah show these it's days. so fascinating because the streamers have changed everything all of it you know netflix and each and Apple Plus especially, I love them. And I see a really bright horizon in the future because of them. Yeah, You know, I think that especially my launch back into screenwriting is going to be made easier um, by them. Mm. And that's because unlike the network system, CBS and all of them, they allow the creators to work not, you know, with no interference. Right. So in the typical network model, you'd have your um, all the development people, the showrunner, you'd have the producers and the network yeah. and the advertisers dictating, you know, how this story shape. That's too many people, yeah. you know, and it loses the the voice, right? So um, I think with Netflix being very hands off once mm -hmm. they accept a project. Um, it's great. I think you make, and you make more money up front. Um, typically it sounds like, but you may not make all those royalties. Like if you have a show that runs for 10 years, you're not going to make as much on at Netflix possibly as you would in that old model. Sure. But your, the risk up front is, is less. Right. Which is awesome. Right. Yeah. I, I, this conversation is flying. I can't believe we've been going already. 56 minutes. This is insane. I don't want to hold you. <laughs> I don't want to hold you too much longer, but I want to get the rest of these questions out. I, yeah, no, I'm okay. You just tell me when you're ready to, you know. Great. We got another two hours. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> the relationships that you view, you know, business relationships here in this industry, how, are, how do you view them? How do you view professional relationships? Hmm. Um, let's do you mean uh, how do I use them or no, how important? Yeah, just whatever that means to you. Yeah, I guess yeah, how okay. important they are to you, you know, it's who you know, but in a real way it is and it helps to know a lot of people because you're creating all these projects with your friends, you know, you and Bradley yeah. working yeah. on that um, show. Yeah. So anything that comes to mind about views on relationships in the industry, there's no okay. wrong answer on it. 
Okay. I do think relationships in the industry um, and how many you have are important. And it's something I, I maybe learned the hard way coming out of film school. There's 25 of us in a graduating film school class. Yeah. Probably only three of us in that class got any WGA writing credits under our belt. Um, the person who was the most successful out of film school was the person who was the best at socializing with agents. He'd play tennis with them. He'd go to parties with them. He'd call them and hang out. Um, and he saw the most success. The, the writers who I thought were the most talented were two people. They never. They were people who probably wouldn't be good in a room. They were people who would not ask for a meeting mm. or probably even put themselves out there to get an agent. Uh, or make themselves vulnerable, but man, could they write. And I always yeah. was really struck by that and humbled by that, that they had the most talent and imagination, but they, they didn't get to work. And so I never took any of this lightly. Mm -hmm. I'm personable, but I am not someone who can pick up a call, you know, call an agent. I was never good at that. I'm only getting good at that now. I always felt like, and my husband too, like, oh, I don't want to bother them. Right. I think that's the wrong way to be. You don't want to be so cocky that you become um, irritating to them. But I think I should have struck a better balance early on. Hmm. Um, so that's something I would definitely advise. Like, be confident and keep maintain a really good personal relationship with people in the business um just don't be irritating yeah that's so a, i think yeah that's a really good balance you're describing and i noticed that in the theater world from you know new york even it's so much more than just being good at you know singing acting dancing any of that you have to have okay. communication skills that are yeah. not necessarily ever taught to you you kind of you know, people right. who take an interest in that are better at it, you know, but it's never, it's never a lesson learned in studying, you know, the craft of musical theater or any, you know, so that's an interesting balance you're bringing up. Yeah, it is hard because, I mean, you never want to be the writer who has to tell your agent or someone like, I'm really good. I'm talented. Right. You're right. You can't do that. You have to kind of show them that in another way. Yeah. Um, but it is a balancing act. My husband, it took him two years to get a book agent. I mean, he ha ha now has like the top literary agent practically in the world, but it took him two years. And I remember he came to me and he was in tears one day and he's like, I don't know if I can do this, yeah. you know, but I really believed in that book. I'm like, you're doing this. <laughs> There's no way I'm letting you not, you know, and then two weeks later he got an agent. And then a month later he signed with um, Penguin and sold his first novel for some really good money wow. and in France too. So, so yeah. Um, and, but that was our film lit agent, which is different than a literary agent. All they do is take your product and turn it in to films or TV. Right. Um, she really helped him, you know, was guiding him through that, um, that sort of process of getting a, a literary agent. Changes made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I think making a move to 
move out of LA. Like you think, oh, you can't work in business if you're in LA. But as writers, especially nowadays and these times, even pre-COVID, there's ways to work remotely. There's planes, you know. Um, So for us, it was getting outside of LA was really refreshing. Yeah, what was the decision to move to an island? (laughs) Well, you know, I did, um, my midnight Google searches are infamous. um, Yeah. But basically one night I was like, um, you know, affordable coastal living. (laughs) So I'd always dreamed of living by ocean with old growth trees. I had actually put that in this priest questionnaire once. I was like, yeah, well, maybe I should kind of look into that. And we knew our house. We had bought our house at a good time. We knew the price had doubled, you know, so we could, in LA, maybe use that. And the first place that came up was Brittany, France. And so I was like, Sam, that's my husband. I think we're moving to France. And he was like, okay. Um, You know, as long as it's not hot. He doesn't like anywhere hot. LA drove him crazy. Um, Because it was super affordable. Cottages with ponds and two miles of land for like $700 a month. I was like, let's go try this. Yeah. And, you know, my daughter's learning French and I like to speak some. Um, And then other places came up that weren't that affordable. And then the San Juan Islands, and I never heard of them. I thought they were in Puerto Rico Mm. because there are some there. Yeah. And it seems so interesting to me. I was like, oh, wow, you could take a seaplane if you needed to get back to the mainland. You know, it's an island. Um, It was gorgeous in pictures. Food was supposed to be good. So we took a summer trip up here, but there was not one place available um, to rent on San Juan Island, which is the more popular, bigger island we thought we wanted to move on to. Mm. So we had to rent an Airbnb on Orcas Island, which is the adjacent island. So when we came here, we would ferry over to San Juan Island. We looked at land and, and all of that. And we realized we're like, oh gosh, no, we like Orcas Island. It's more artistic. Right. It's half the people. It's only 3,500 people. Yeah, it's small. It's, it's smaller than most LA middle schools. Yes. <laughs> Graduating classes. And I classes. love no. that. You know, I yeah. love it. And people really care about each other. And, and as soon as I went to a farm stand, and it was honor system. And there was also a thrift store cabin where you could go in and someone had put vintage clothing in and you would write down on a piece of paper what you took and what you wanted to pay. And you put your money in a slot. And oh my. I was like, oh my God, to live like this where when someone loses a diamond ring or an iPhone, it showed people like, oh, I found your iPhone or your diamond ring or, or they look out for you. It was I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's like a real community where people really care about each other. I vacationed Uh, up at Lake George in upstate New York. And they they have a honor system for the boat launch. It's literally, you know, it's like $2 to launch your boat, but it's just a little mailbox with a slot in it. You put the money in, no one's there. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So that's how all our farm stands are. And I love that. Um, so we just, and we fell in love with some, you know, plots here and houses. And so, and it's still, you know, it's half the cost of LA. We have a 183 ocean view in front of me. And this house was one third, actually, the cost of our LA house, same size. 
So everyone here is like, oh my God, I can't believe you paid, you know, that much for your house. We're like, uh, this is really cheap, you know, compared, compared to Los Angeles. I'm discovering yeah. that with Florida and New York. I'm like, oh my God, what yeah. you can get for the same amount of money. It's crazy. So yeah, I think being in a community like this where you're honored for how you behave when no one's looking, you know, and helping other people has just been such a breath of fresh air. It's like we found a place we belong for the rest of our lives. What does your day look like? How do you schedule your day? Well, I sleep till 1030. That's amazing. I, I stay up. I like to work between midnight and two sometimes. That's my optimal creative time at night. And it always has been. Um, amazing. So, uh, and my husband does like, he's not a night owl. So he'll do all the morning stuff. So it works perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, now that I'm working with Bradley, I mean, typically I, it takes me a while to get ready. So you were talking about like, what do you need to do to ride? I have some rituals and please for me, pre um, COVID, even when I was back in LA, it, it took me like two hours just to get started with writing. I need the perfect matcha tea. I need the perfect <laughs> pen, my notebook. I need a, some flowers near. I'm really um, affected by my environment. Yeah. And I think if you are, then you need to realize that and you need to, make sure you feng shui what's around you so your mind feels really free to create. Mm. I also need to turn off everything else as much as possible. Um, And I always have, even um, before we lived here, I'd have to be able to see distance, like have a window in front of me. I think for my mind to wander, I like to sort of look off. If studies on this, your mind, when your eyes, you see someone's eyes go like that, it's a process in the brain. Like your eyes go like off to the side, you're thinking, right? Right. right. For me, I look out and I can see a far, far away. And um, that helps me. It helps me a lot. So that, and then I, you know, with Bradley, we'll Zoom probably, well, when we were really in it with the script, we were Zooming almost every other day, but now we'll do two days a week. And that's typically like three to four hours working on writer duet, which I'm loving a lot more than final draft. Really? And um, sort of because you can, you can collaborate, but it's a little easier um, to use. And we just, uh, yeah, shoot ideas back and forth live. And what with one of us editing, you know, Mm -hmm. sharing the screen. Are there, uh, yeah, that's uh, so right now. And I'm just curious about the writing process. Are you guys separately going about different characters and bringing it together, working on different parts of the, you know, the show he's working in the beginning, you're working on the end or something along those lines. And then you're bringing the ideas yeah. together. Because it was a romantic comedy, it's really easy. Um, he takes the guy <laughs> and I take the girl. Right. And good to go. And we, we split it up. You go write that. I go, but we outline it together. Like, here's what, you know, sure. this should probably happen. Um, I might lay down the structure because he, he confesses he's not so comfortable with structure yet. Sure. Um, and then once we've written those parts, then I take a pass on his. He takes a pass on mine. Got it. That makes sense. Yep. So we're both touching it, but, um, creating it. I mean, they're largely, I think the guy a lot based on Bradley in terms yeah. of his sense of humor. He's British. 
this yeah. case, the girl's American. Um, sure. She's not so much me, but she's someone I would love to be. Right. You know, I think <laughs> that could have been an alternate life, like a cool rock star journalist. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. Do you have um, most gifted books that come to mind or favorite? Most gifted? Oh, gosh, there's one. Um, I forget the name of it. It's Cheryl Strayed's quote book. Um, I just met her and I really love her and she has a book and it's really cool because it's bright and green and it just has some really great inspirational quotes, especially writers. Um, I typically give fiction books and cookbooks, so <laughs> I don't know if that's exciting. Um, but you know, I love anything by Joan Didion. Um, that's nonfiction. I love Jane Austen, but I also love sci-fi. So Dune is one of my all-time favorite books. So I reread it often. Yeah. Um, and so excited for the um, Denis Villeneuve is you know the guy who directed Blade Runner and Arrival is directing Dune. Okay. Yeah. It was supposed to be out now, but they right. delayed it. Um, and it's Timothy Chalamet playing uh, the main character. It's I'm really excited about that because the last adaptation by David Lynch was awful, <laughs> and I love David Lynch. But it was. Yeah. Did you see it? Did, no. I oh didn't my see god. It. it was rough. <laughs> the technology wasn't really ready. The special effects. Right. Right. Yeah. Do you, yeah. I, I got to ask, and I know, you know, maybe you can't necessarily tell me, but are there other, are there a ton of other writers over there on that island with you that you get to hang out with, have coffee with, collaborate, or people in other fields that you're, you know? It's so interesting. There's a lot of, of them are poets. Poets. Um, and, you know, there's not, uh, there are some people who have written coffee table sort of books or books about the sea life around here. So my husband and I started this um, nonprofit called Novel Lab, and we were trying to get people to write more fiction and, and um, nonfiction essays. So we have this little core group we meet with, and we mentor them through that. I love it. Um, so I think you're going to see soon some pretty amazing writing coming out of Orcas Island. Oh, amazing. Um, and we did just start a festival here a couple of years ago. Um, so that's brought in a lot of people interested in the island and um, writing here and literature oh that's so fantastic it, yeah the island's so beautiful it's easy to attract people so for the lit fest you know we had two pulitzer prize winners come the first time <laughs> never even had that at a festival um our film fest is usually has been hosted every year and he says he's gonna keep doing it um Great. by jean-marc valet the director yeah. who did dallas uh dallas buyers club and big little lives oh yeah so it's a tiny film festival, but he hosts it. He DJs our dance night during the festival. Oh he usually gives a, a free workshop or a paid workshop to help raise money for the film fest. Where uh, the year before last, we got to see him live edit on our stage. He connected to his editing system in Montreal yeah. and live edited some of Sharp Objects in front of us, the show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And walked us that it was so cool that's awesome. people here really um are knowledge seekers and i think one of my favorite things here is that even people in their 70s and 80s which is 40 percent of our population yeah and a lot of people don't live here full-time necessarily they have other houses yeah. but they're constantly wanting to learn and people here like 20 year olds hang out with 70 year olds here <laughs> it's not weird yeah. you have you might have a friend or best friend who is you know in that age you go to a dance and you might be 
dancing next to an 80 year old, a 70 year old, but they're not treated differently. Right. You know, I mean, they're just, we think they're just as cool as cool 20 year olds because they are, right. but you don't get that in LA. Right. No, no you never even hear yeah. that. I mean, that's, is there a, a common piece of incorrect advice you hear in your field? Uh, yes. I put that down. I was trying to remember. Um, I really cringe when people say, write what you know. Okay. I don't understand that. Like, if we all did that, uh, there'd be so much more. How would we even have sci-fi and fantasy and, <laughs> you know, things like Dune yeah. and, um, and I don't want to do that. That's not really always the fun for me. Um, I mean, I think that if anything, you know, maybe push yourself to know more. <laughs> yeah. And you can write what you know. So I'm constantly, probably 60% of writing for me is research. Mm. Even on a romantic comedy, I'm researching how do Rolling Stone journalists work? You know, um, mm. how is a song created? Um all of that. So yeah, tons, tons of research. That's a, you know, that's a funny thing you bring that up because I've been hearing a lot from the theater side of things, people saying, um, you know, is that your story to tell, or that's not your story to tell, or you have to tell Uh your story. You can't tell someone else's story or you should. And this is like, you know, a lot of people that I've had on the show don't necessarily agree with that. It's more of like, that's how a great story is told by mixing a whole bunch of people who know or don't know. And then you have this wonderful you know, um, one of them likened it to like, you know, a mixed salad, a tossed salad. You just have all these flavors in there. Otherwise it would just be lettuce, but that's, you know, it's really, it's really sensitive times now too. And I, I feel for you if you're not, um, a biracial person of color, you know, but it's nice that we're finally getting our time after years of not, (laughs) not having any, Yeah, but I, I'm okay with someone white writing non-white characters if they've done their research and, you know, are writing from a a place of authenticity, just like I want to be able to write characters who aren't um, Asian, you know, Mexican or native. I've written tons of Caucasian characters. Um, Right. And I was okay in 2009 when they wanted to make pornology and they came to me nervously and said, we're thinking we're going to make your character white. I was like, great, please do because I want to sell a movie. You know, I want this made. <laughs> and like, I want was, end product. <laughs> yeah, that was pre yeah. Me Too. That was pre Black Lives Matter, pre Mindy Kaling being so fun. Yeah. If they had made it now, I'd be like, uh, let's just get Mindy Kaling, mm-hmm. you know, and they probably would be too. Right. And now with Sexy LA, that show's getting sold because it has, you know, people of color in it. So it's really changed in, t- in 10 years. Um, but there is a lot of sensitivity. And that worries me a little because, you know, there's censorship. And I don't think it's fair to expect any writer to only write what they know. Mm-hmm. And I especially think... African-American writers shouldn't have to only write African-American characters too. No. Yeah. Yeah. I had read a quote, sort of the reverse of, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, I had a, I had heard a quote, I guess I didn't, oh no, I did read it, but it was just that if you want to, you know, if you want to be like, if you really want to write, prepare to be a, the social outcast to disagree with everyone and to stir <laughs> the pot because that's why people go to movies for that drama. Yeah. I don't know if that was from like Stephen King or Alfred Hitchcock or someone. It was one of those mm. more thriller horror 
writers, I think, said something along those lines. But I was like, oh, that's very yeah. interesting. That is. To keep such a, you know, to be such a, a loner in such a sense as you write. But this, mm -hmm. I'm so, mm -hmm. I'm so excited we got to chat. This is such a great conversation. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's fun. You never expect, I don't, I never expect a conversation to go in a certain direction. And I love, you know, what we've just talked about. It's just been so varied. So thank you for rolling with the punches, so to speak. Oh, sure. Thank you for punching. I like it. <laughs> um, metaphorically speaking, if you would put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? Yeah, I'm a big Leonard Cohen fan. So I live, uh, especially when it comes to art, I live by this quote, and that is, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I like that. And I, I, I do too. I think it allows you to understand it's not about being perfect. Um, it's just about being authentic. And when there is ever maybe rough times or sometimes even in art, something feels like it's not working. Sometimes those things rework turn out to be the most amazing and original bits about something. I love but that. it's the same in someone's life. It's you know, someone's going through a really hard time. Um, it, it's hard to see it in in the maybe hard time, but later you'll go back on that and, and realize that that maybe that contributed to something really wonderful or you know, creating a stronger person because of it. Yeah, I completely. I yes, I completely agree with that. Uh, as a side note, I'm curious. Do you have? Oh wait, hold on. Wait, Clay, you know, I'm going to um, text Bradley because okay. we were going to get on it. I'm just going to tell oh, him shoot. we're going to call him when we're ready. I love how this, I love how this is going because uh, <laughs> I had no idea. I honestly had no idea how many loyal fans Bradley James has. Oh, he's got loyal fans and they love him. So shout out to any Bradley James fans listening right now because not right now because it's not live, but you know what I mean? Because they, um, yeah. They're just, they just love him. They love him. And I, I noticed that when the, because his second part episode uh, aired today and he, um, a lot of fan accounts, a lot of tweets. Lot yeah. Of I mean, you know, he has uh, on Facebook, there are Facebook pages, yeah. you know, fan pages of his. Oh, yeah. um, some of them have 1.8 million, some have 10,000, 30,000. Um, but he also gets people imposturing him, which is very frustrating. Yeah. On Facebook. He's, he's frustrated with Facebook right now. Oh. Um, but yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, if I was single and a lot younger, I'd be crushing on Bradley James, right? <laughs> I, had I mean, a, I had straighter a gay. Yeah. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh, I, I'll tell him that. Right, right, yeah. I, I have more I have more of a maternal relationship with him, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've known each other in a past life, honestly. I feel like such a strong bond with him. And we were born on this, you know, October are both of ours. I was like, God, that's so interesting that we have birthday and we were so um, bonded to each other so quickly. It's a, it's a funny thing when you, when you run into someone, you feel like you've known them forever. You've never met them before. And I'm like, have, yeah. I, have I met you before? You know, that kind of feeling yeah do you have do you have a uh a, a, a notebook so to speak of 
just ideas that you come up with for writing that you're, oh, there it is. And it's orange. The color changes, but it always has to be something um, substantial, like Moleskine or something that has, um, you know, a little bit like of a feel, kind yeah. of tactile. Sure. Um, and then when I don't have this, it was just a mess. Notes were everywhere. And, and now I, I have it. And the color helps because I can find it. Because I have other notebooks for other, you know, home projects and things. Sure. But I try not to mix any um, pedestrian tasks in my creative writing notebook yeah so that it gains like inspirational value right right how are you how are you choosing then i know i said we're gonna wrap this up but i'm i gotta ask how are you how are you choosing what i mean besides you know people coming to you with projects and there's certain you know financial deadlines or writing deadlines and what have you and i understand that how are you picking and choosing what you're gonna work on next are there like a ton of ideas that you're like geez there's not enough time in the day or is it you know. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm not taking any clients, you know, because I have so many projects um, with Bradley and then with Callie pictures, I want to give myself six months to just fund my own projects now. Yeah. And um, cause I think the timing is right. And COVID does help with that too, helping me focus um, and really give those my all because some of these involve us producing too, not just writing. I'm trying to move to that level. Mm. I'm actually setting up some meetings with um, people who can mentor me a little with producing. Um, so Mal Young in the UK um, used to head up 19 entertainment and he was a showrunner on, I forget which um, soap, but he's created some really amazing British shows, yeah. including the original Dr. Who and all of that. Um, and some other people. So I'm, I'm now going to yeah, seek out some mentoring um, to help us produce some of these projects. I don't want now to just hand my writing over. Mm-hmm. I want to take the next career step and be a more active producer. On A Nice Girl Like You, they gave me co-executive producer credit. And I didn't do anything until post, but I learned a lot in post and I was able to help a lot in the post production but i think i could have helped that film be even better if i would have started in the beginning i didn't have the confidence then and i was also trying to make a crazy move to a remote island so (laughs) i didn't help with the development process and all of that right um but now i want to stay more involved in projects that's great that's fantastic i can't wait to see what else comes this is so exciting i'm i'm so glad we could sit down and capture this moment in time uh we'll have to do it again Definitely. And we'll have to do it on Orca's Island. You're invited. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm coming. (laughs) Yeah. We have a little Airbnb apartment. Oh, amazing. By the lake. So you're welcome to it. Oh, my goodness. And the weather, I'm guessing, is similar to Vancouver. Moderate, kind of cloudy, Um, not too many storms. Well, we're we're in something called the Olympia Rain Shadows. So we have half the rain of Seattle and twice the sun of Seattle. Oh. That was another reason we picked this area. Um, so we're sort of sheltered from storms and things. When you look at a map, you'll see we're really tucked in um, yeah. with landmass, even though we're surrounded by the Salish Sea. Yeah, um, There's a lot of things protecting us. So um, it's much calmer. And you can come by ferry, which takes an hour. Yeah. Um, or you can take a seaplane, which lands right in front of um, sort of where we live. And we pick you up and... No Uber though. No it. Ubers. No, no lifts. No <laughs> people get here. They're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Is everyone allowed just one car per home? 
Uh, we actually live with just one car. But yeah. Most people do have, they have a car and then a beater car to take their stuff to the dump. You have sure. to bring your trash to a dump here. This it's is very, it's kind of rural. I'm kind of loving it. I mean, definitely- Oprah Winfrey does have a house here. It's just <laughs> like, you know, it's not that rural. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, she bought a lot. Of the, she bought a lot of the buildings in the town when she bought a house last year. Oh, that's amazing! It's uh, it sounds yeah. it's, it sounds a lot like Lake George. You got to go to the dump Wednesdays and Saturdays. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> keeps you keeps you down on on the on planet Earth. But I uh, yeah. I, I, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this? Oh bad gosh, let me let me see if I forgot anything. It's so funny we didn't even talk about the whole TV adaptation, but we'll I save know. that for another time. Let yes, sure, sure. Okay. When we, uh, get... No, that was it. Thank you so mm. much. That was so fun great. to take a break and talk to you. This is great. I appreciate you. I appreciate this. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. We'll talk later. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Anne Gailey. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening.